Pines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, November 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, leaders say they're ready for the next step in the long process of improving the capital city's public school system. Then find out why a foundation connected with New York billionaire Michael Bloomberg is spending money in Mississippi. And ahead of World AIDS Day, hear the personal experiences of one advocate. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. are moving ahead in an effort to improve the capital city's troubled public school system. A new report from the consulting group Inside Education outlines recommendations in five specific areas. Those include staffing, curriculum, special education, teacher development, and finances. Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antarlamumba says the community played a large part in determining what issues need the most attention. What comes to mind for me is the statement that whoever controls the process controls the outcome. And so if the community is not engaged, uh, then we're sure not to, to see an outcome which works in their best interest. And, and, you know, for all of the minds and all of the efforts and all of the en- energy uh, and intellect that we have at this table, if we are unable to incorporate the, the community in that process, uh, then, then I think that our efforts would be for naught. Lamumba attributes the community connection to a citywide door-to-door campaign. I'm most especially excited about the 70,000 doors. I've been telling everybody that it's 60,000, uh, but the 70,000 doors that we've knocked on uh, to get community input. Uh, and, and also, so we, we get a, an assessment of, of where we want to be and, and bridge the gap from where we find ourselves to, to where uh, our goals and aspirations would have us. Uh, but beyond that, uh, this process has allowed for uh, a certain level of introspective uh, uh, analysis where we can look at ourselves, uh, but also bringing in uh, external partners who can give us the assessment that, that we may be too close to the process to see. Obviously, I have a specific uh, concern for Jackson Public Schools, but what we feel that we must build out of this process is a model uh, so that we don't continue to, to follow the same punitive the same failed models uh, that have not seen success in this state uh, nor across the world or the country. Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antar Lamumba. Eric Green is superintendent of Jackson Public Schools. He has only been on the job a couple months, far less than the year-long cooperation between state and local education leaders. He agrees with the mayor that Jackson's current experiment to avoid state takeover could be a roadmap for other districts across the state. We've got the opportunity to create a, a, a pathway and a, a playbook, really, for school districts across the country um, and understanding that it doesn't have to be done in the way that it's always been done as we look at turnaround, re-engagement, and uplifting of a, of a school district. Green says the district can't make positive changes alone. It will take a community-wide effort. I just urge all of those who might be kind of listening in and and watching to see what's going to happen. Just jump in there with us. Roll up your sleeves and and join us in the work. It's going to be messy. We already know that. 
Again, it's socially constructed. It's going to be messy. Um, but, it, but with all of us rolling up our sleeves and actually working to improve things and not simply talking about the things that need to be improved, uh, that's how we're going to win. Jackson Public School Superintendent Eric Green. Coming up, find out why a foundation connected with New York billionaire Michael Bloomberg is spending money in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, y'all, it's Felder Rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener, and I am so pleased to join y'all every week talking about gardening. You know, you don't have to be anybody or join anything to be part of this party. All we're going to do is talk about gardening and garden-related stuff and maybe a little psychology working in at the same time. Let's have a lot of fun on the Gestalt Gardener. Fridays at 9 and Saturdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting for more information. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The city of Jackson is receiving a $1 million grant for a project to address nutrition and food access in Mississippi. The funds are coming from the foundation of philanthropist and former New York mayor, Michael Bloomberg. The money will fund a public art project called Fertile Ground. Artists, chefs, landscape architects, and others will work on art installations and programs to get the community talking about food access and healthy eating. We hear once again from Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antarlamo who welcomed Bloomberg to Mississippi. We welcome you to the deep fried South, right? And we take a lot of cultural pride in, in our food and our, our history here. But we understand that a lot of the foods that we eat and the food insecurities that we see are, are a measure of historical challenges that our communities have faced. Uh, many of the things that we cook and take pride in today are because our forefathers and foremothers had limited access to fresh fruit and fresh or, or fresh opportunities when you go all the way back to the plantation. And so people cook things that they had available to them. And today we still see communities that have food insecurities and don't have access or don't make the proper choices in the things that they eat. And so we have to demand that we leave a better legacy for our children. And so I'm excited to welcome Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who is giving towards that effort, not only here in Jackson, but across the country. Michael Bloomberg says the Jackson Project was chosen from 200 initial applicants. Our judges, and I was not one of them, uh, was impressed with your project called Fertile Ground, uh, inspiring dialogue, dialogue about food access. And food access, as we all know, is an important topic both here and around the country. Fertile Ground is bringing together people with a wide variety of backgrounds, artists and landscape architects and farmers and chefs and nutritionists and community members. And together they have put together installations and performances and workshops and panels all aimed at breaking down barriers to access food here in Jackson. And some participants will be national voices like artist Kara Walker and journalist Mark Bittman. And Fertile Ground will also feature some talented local artists like Nick Wallace, Adrian Domnick, and Roderick Redd. Bloomberg says public art is a smart investment for local governments, not just an extra expense. I've always said that I always believe that arts are a smart investment for cities, 
Uh, art makes cities more beautiful and enjoyable places to live. And I've always thought that culture attracts capital a lot more than capital attracts culture. So if you want to really improve a city, and I watched in the mayor's old city, Detroit, where the mayor there, Michael Duggan, inherited a city that really was on hard times. And what they've done is tried to get young artists to come in and then people follow them. And eventually uh, the young artists will be driven out because everybody wants to live there, but then that city's in good shape. And the artists go on and do the same thing at the next city. Uh, we've seen that in New York, and it's uh, particularly true when you have public art that a lot of people can see. Philanthropist and former New York mayor Michael Bloomberg. One of the artists mentioned by Bloomberg is producer Roderick Red. He spoke briefly with our Ashley Norwood. Uh, Fertile Ground is a project about inspiring dialogue about food access. So basically there are three art projects, public art projects that are going to be uh, uh, strategically laid out around the city, downtown, and two of them are in West Jackson, and uh, they're just an inspired dialogue about food access, about getting people to think about healthy foods and stuff like that, and so that's what the project is basically about. And what's your input? We are, I'm an artist in the project, and my production company is producing a documentary about the project, um, and the ups and downs of getting the project done and all that stuff, so. Talk about how confident you are um, in using art to raise awareness, but, I mean, get people to make healthier decisions. Um, I think it's one of those strategic things that kind of has to happen. Like it's, like it's, I think the Mayor Bloomberg said there's no, like, one cure-all way to get people to do one thing, but the, the, the thing is to be strategic and get people to think about stuff. So uh, these projects, you know, will inspire some type of dialogue that brings people, that brings people to a better understanding about what food access is and about, you know, we talk about food justice or just having access to healthy food. You know, a lot of people don't recognize that just because they're surrounded by a bunch of fast food restaurants, that doesn't mean that they actually have access to, you know, good food for you. You know, so this, hopefully this project, even just get a few people talking and getting dialogue pushed around the city and getting people inspired and things like that. So, Producer Roderick Red with MPB's Ashley Norwood. Coming up ahead of World AIDS Day, hear the personal experiences of one advocate. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Right now, it's a mystery, a tantalizing football cliffhanger. But come Friday, November 30th, it's all over but the shouting and cheers to find out which high school football team, maybe your high school football team, will rocket from the ranks of Mississippi's outstanding gridiron talent to be champion. Six games, six divisions, and more excitement than you can imagine. Beginning Friday, November 30th at 10.30 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Can't get to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A Mississippian who founded an HIV-AIDS support network says the disease is alive and kicking and more access to health care is needed in the state. Robin Webb says some 10,000 Mississippians are living with the disease. Webb founded the Mississippi Positive Network, which is part of the group My Brother's Keeper. He says his personal experience living with AIDS since the 1980s inspires him to give survivors a voice about issues like health care and medication costs. We needed a group of people who were actually uh, living with HIV to be a, at decision-making tables in Mississippi 
when things are decided about our health care and our lives and our housing, our support circles, decisions were being made about us but without us. So now our motto is nothing about us without us. And tell us about your status, if you don't mind. Uh, I was diagnosed with HIV in 1986, which is well over 30-something years ago. In 1988, I got uh, I had an AIDS, I had an AIDS diagnosis. So I lived through a good decade with zero meditations, with people dying all around me, and that was my survivor story. So um, then, in the mid 90s, um, around 1996, the first real uh, authentic medication came around that actually kept us alive and kept our immune systems strong. So uh, I've been on medication since then. How are you feeling overall? I feel great. I feel better than I ever could feel. I'm I'm 61 years old, and uh, I've been through a whole lot of health challenges. But uh, exercise and diet always does it, just like it does for any other normal body. Um, And it works for anyone, so it's worked for me. The mental health. It's also good, but that's a big challenge as well. You know, many of our folks who live with HIV uh, have to do with uh, deal with uh, isolation issues and depression issues and a lot of different mental uh, challenges. And are you able to help people with that, having this network? I think all of us are able to help each other. We are able to have so- social support uh, networks. You know, we have a traditional support groups are groups that meet in person, maybe 12 people at a time in a, in a nice circle, and there's nothing like that. It, nothing can replace that. But at the same time, we live in a flatter world. We live in a more electronic world. And we live in a world in Mississippi of people being isolated rurally, and they don't have transportation uh, or time or resources to get to these in-person circles. So now we have social networks. Um, we have a couple of times a year we do in-person gatherings so we have ways of communicating you know in group circles and you talked about the drugs they're expensive but apparently they're effective because you've been living with this for about 30 years absolutely and about half of that time on drugs only about half of that time so i'm one of the lucky ones because as you know and as we all know during those first first 15 years, there was simply nothing except the hope of keeping your immune system strong that, and the hope that the virus would not take over your immune system. Uh, it really is was at one time like a roulette wheel. Um, I got lucky. Um, I made it through that terrible time of no medications. I made it through all the years of taking medications, and yes, they are working because here I am. So they're working. Uh, we're, they're, they're, another thing that we do as a, as a PLHIV, we call it a PLHIV, People Living with HIV Networks. One of the things we do is talk about medication prices and policies that, that are um, around uh, medications uh, and, the, and the accessibility of medications to others around the state. And uh, it can be a very uh, difficult conversation, and it can be uh, intense conversation when you're talking about pharmaceutical profits as opposed to people staying alive uh, and how do all 
the partners involved uh, get in the, into an everybody wins situation. So on this um, 2018 World AIDS uh, Day, what do you want people to take away from this issue? I want people to know that the epidemic is alive and kicking. The virus is alive and kicking, but also our spirit is alive and kicking. We, we, we can't turn our backs on HIV or AIDS because people are still dying in big, bad numbers in especially places like Mississippi. Um, but all over the South, uh, which has been staggeringly hit hard, our numbers are, are very challenging. Uh, the takeaway, I think, would be for us to continue to fight, continue to keep this in the forefront, and any kind of success that we have in lowering HIV infections or, or um, maintaining people who are already HIV positive and maintaining their lives, any of that um, enriches our, our entire society. Society benefits from people staying healthy. And tomorrow is World AIDS Day. Coming up, learn about gestational diabetes and who's at risk. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This year, Mississippi Public Broadcasting is helping sponsor the 42nd Annual Chimneyville Arts and Crafts Festival, featuring 120 makers of fine arts and crafts. The preview party will be Thursday, November 29th, and the festival begins Friday, November 30th through Saturday, December 1st at the Mississippi Trademark in Jackson. For more information, log on to mscrafts.org. That's mscrafts.org. Running a business requires smart decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB Program Underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Diabetes is a disease that affects hundreds of thousands of Mississippians. And type 2 diabetes is associated with obesity, heart disease, and a host of other medical conditions prevalent in our state. But it's not just overweight people who encounter the disease. Pregnant women could be at risk for a form called gestational diabetes. Dr. Griffin Rogers oversees diabetes efforts for the National Institutes of Health. He talks about the risks involved with gestational diabetes. Gestational diabetes occurs in about 2 to 10% of all pregnancies. Uh, it uh, is more frequent in uh, certain racial and ethnic groups, African-American, American Indians, Asian-Americans, Hispanics, and Latinas, as well as Pacific Islander-Americans. Uh, and obviously, the, those risk factors, as well as overweight and uh, diet, is, uh, or being overweight or having a family history also contributes to your risk of developing gestational diabetes. If you're heading towards type 2 diabetes anyway, you're more likely to get gestational diabetes? It's generally the other way around. If you develop gestational diabetes, you're at a greater risk for ultimately developing type 2 diabetes. Now, it's probably more of a, dis a difference in a distinction because it's the same risk factors. But in any case, if you develop gestational diabetes during pregnancy, uh, you have a greater chance of developing type 2 diabetes later in life. Uh, in fact, pregnant women are tested between 24 to 28 weeks and uh, if one is found to have gestational diabetes, 
treatments would include a healthy eating plan and physical activity, sometimes insulin or oral medication. But um, in most women, after delivery, the uh, diabetes or gestational diabetes goes away. But in about 50% of these women, at some time in their life, they will go on to develop type 2 diabetes. What causes gestational diabetes? Gestational diabetes is caused uh, because of the changing hormones and weight gain during pregnancy, which can make it harder for the body's insulin to do its job, which is to manage the amount of glucose or blood sugar uh, for both the baby and the mom uh, who need this blood sugar uh, as a source of their energy. And since they're at a higher rate of developing type 2 diabetes following their pregnancy, can they prevent that in the same way that anyone who is facing type 2 diabetes would? Generally, after the delivery, the gestational diabetes goes away. But if you've been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, you should get a test within 12 weeks after the baby is born. Um, Even uh, when the diabetes goes away, though, you still have this risk. So it's recommended that at 12 weeks, when you get this test done again, if your blood sugars are completely normal, then you can get tested every three years. For those whose blood sugar is still elevated but not high enough to be categorized as frank diabetes, they have a condition called prediabetes. And in them, an NIH-funded diabetes prevention study showed that these women with a history of gestational diabetes, interventions like the drug metformin, or a lifestyle intervention can greatly reduce or delay you from developing type 2 diabetes. Is there any relationship between having gestational diabetes and developing type 1 diabetes? Generally, type 1 diabetes, in contrast, is an autoimmune disease, which leads to your body, for some reason, developing a process in which it begins to make antibodies that destroy the cells that produce insulin in the pancreas. That generally is not associated with pregnancy per se, but on the other hand, women who have type 1 diabetes, those same stresses can make their blood sugar control much more difficult. And of course, a child born to a mother with type 1 diabetes with poorly controlled blood sugars Uh, That child has the same risk of um, a woman with gestational diabetes who isn't controlling her blood sugar as well. But the pregnancy per se doesn't um, uh, stimulate or begin this autoimmune attack. That association uh, has not been shown. Does gestational diabetes put the mother and the baby at risk? We've already mentioned that gestational diabetes puts the mother at risk subsequently for developing type 2 diabetes, but research has also shown that that infant born to the mother who had gestational diabetes themselves are at higher risk for developing obesity and subsequently type uh, 2 diabetes compared to their sibling, for example, who was born at the time that the mother's blood sugars were uh, completely normal. What about during the pregnancy itself? Is the mother and baby at risk? The mother and baby uh, are at risk for complications if the gestational diabetes isn't managed uh, quite well. Uh, The mother is at risk for complications such as preeclampsia and high blood pressure. Uh, The baby is at risk for being born with a high birth weight and certain uh, obstetrical complications like uh, a dislocation of the shoulder and and other features. And so those are some of the common uh, complications associated with uh, gestational diabetes. 
Dr. Griffin Rogers with the National Institutes of Health. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, next stop, Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Actually, football playoffs will be airing starting at 10.30 this morning. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org.